He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. Amen. Thank you, Bishop, for giving me this opportunity on a Tuesday night. It's just as much of an honor as on a Sunday morning, taking the time. I know you love teaching the Bible, and I take it very serious coming to this sacred desk, having this opportunity to be able to come and present the word that God has laid on my heart. Amen. I know there are many things going on in each and every one of your lives and your minds, but I only ask if we could draw our minds and attention unto the Word of God at this time. That's what the worship is there for, to prepare us for the Word. And I believe God has given us a Word for some souls, some hearts tonight. Amen, amen. If you could turn in your Bible, be reading in John chapter 16. I have two verses of Scripture that I'll be reading in John chapter 16. Amen. John chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus speaking, says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Dropping down to verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So I don't care what's going on in your life. We serve the one who is creating overcomers in us because we overcome through him. He is the one who has fought every battle, every victory that could ever be fought and one here on earth, in the spirit or in the flesh, God gives that to his children because he is the overcomer. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down asking God to reach down and touch us and anoint us each and every one tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master, for this time to come together and worship you. God, I want to honor you, God, with all of my heart. Let the word of God flow in this house. And I thank you, Master, for your touch in this house. I thank you, Savior. I thank you, Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank you, Master, for what you're going to do in this house tonight. Hallelujah. I thank you for the victory you're going to give in this house tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I thank you, Savior. Saints, we're not going to slug another one out. We're going to walk in victory tonight. This church is going to walk in victory tonight. We're not going to walk out those doors with our heads hanging low tonight. We're going to walk out of here with victory in our hearts, in our minds, upon our lips tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe you, Savior. Hallelujah. If you're going to help me preach tonight, you may be seated. Amen, amen. When I feel a message that God has laid on my heart, the title of it is Breaking the Chain of Sin. And we're going to end up at the promise of the Father. But if God has his way and continues to go as he sees fit, I want to be obedient. But we want to end up at the promise of the Father because every answer is found through him. No matter how smart, intelligent you are, how many resources you have at your disposal, God wants us dependent upon him. That is the perfect spot for the child of God to be. Amen. And I so thank him for allowing us to feel the richness of his presence tonight. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. And we are praying for you and your family. 
I know that all you're going through is not pleasant, but God is in control, and He has everything in the palm of His hands, and I believe God is going to bring great peace to this situation. Amen, amen. In way of introduction, I want to talk to us just for a moment, talking about generations and things that are passed down from generation to generation. There are many people that have treasures and, uh, if you could say, heirlooms that have been passed down from generation to generation, and they are given to one child to the next and handed down, and they are held as a treasure. Many times those things are uh, handed down and uh, they're put it in a showcase and they're said this is from grandfather or grandmother and, and forgive me if I've shared this story but I would just want to share it just real briefly. Just the other day my, my aunt was going to a garage sale over here just down the road in Monticello and going in between DeSoto and she went to a, an estate sale and uh, she walked up to the people that were running the estate sale and said, uh, you know, I, I grew up across the street from this house, and at the time, it was an incomplete home, and it had a, had a, a foundation that was dug down in the ground, had the floor above it, but it wasn't completed, and as a kid, we would come in here and we'd play in this house that's been completed many, many, many years, and uh, after the fact, we lived there, and she said, uh, my family, we, we had stuff that we left here, and we left Kansas City, and we went, I believe it was to Arkansas and at this time, and they left just down the road from here and, and went to Arkansas and left some possessions behind. And, and my grandfather had passed down a, a Victrola uh, to my parents, and they had it. But we were poor, didn't have no place to put it, and so uh, we left it. And, and we're talking 50, 60 years. And uh, she says, well, as a matter of fact, there's one back here. It's pretty beat up. And uh, they went back there behind the stairs and opened it up. And lo and behold, it was the piece that uh, my great-grandparents had and left in a basement over there in Monticello, just down the road here. And the family was elated. And then my mom began to think back. She says, you know what? There was an old sewing machine that was from my great-grandmother. And uh, so my aunt went back and began to talk to them and, and said, listen, there's another piece. And uh, they said, well, there's some things out in the barn. You're welcome to go look out there. And sure enough, uh, the base of the old Singer sewing machine that was foot-operated no longer had the machine in it, but the base and the wrought iron, the table was all intact and tucked away into a barn. Those are things that you want to put out there in front and tell the story when family and friends come over. And that just happened just a few weeks ago, and the family was just over the moon. But there's some things that get handed down generation to generation. You have things that happen that children observe and see in their parents that they pick up. And there's some things that you don't want to hand down from generation to generation. There's some things that are, we're not so proud of. And we look at our life, and I've used this example many, many times, so humor me as I give it one more time. I apologize. It's just my own personal reference. But as Sister Goff and I were looking at the adoption process for Haley and Janessa, we began to go through the paperwork. And as word began to spread through the family that, you know, they're going to be adopting those girls that were in foster care, and we begin to set up a celebration party because now they're going to have the last name of golf, and it was going to be a beautiful moment, and family's all going to fly in and come in, and they began to have some questions. Family began to ask some questions, knowing a little bit about their history, and saying, aren't you a little worried about their past of their parents? Aren't you a little worried about maybe some things that 
may be in the blood, the DNA that's been transferred. And are you a little worried about those things? And I said, you know, I'm not worried. You know, we've dedicated, we're, and at the time we hadn't, but we were going to dedicate them to the house of the Lord, as I mentioned on Sunday night. We know they were baptized in Jesus' name. God filled them with the Holy Ghost, and, and God put a special touch on each of their lives. And now that is up to them to handle life as it may be as adults, as God has allowed Sister Golf and I to set them up for success, letting them know the love and the presence of God. Yet there are spirits that try to influence lives of everybody. There are things that try to go from transference. They say, well, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and he would be passed out drunk at Christmas in the back of his pickup truck. And my uncle, we didn't know how many times that he wrecked out and in the country drunk driving. And one uncle down in Arkansas drove through the plate glass window of AA and wrecked his car and was on the front page of the newspaper. And you have story after story. Of people, and I could say, "Well, I'm going just. I'm just going to have to be an alcoholic like the rest of my family." But that's not the case, because God gives us the grace, the strength, the wisdom. He allows us to go through trials and make decisions with His hand, and He allows us to break the chains of life that most people would accept as their destiny, but we chalk up on the wall as our testimony. He kept me one more day because it's greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Tradition that's passed on and say, well, we used to all sit around and play guitars and drink ourselves until we were drunk under the table, and that's what Christmas is all about. No, friend, that's not what it is. It's about the Christ, and that's what I celebrate. Family may get drunk to this day on those holidays, and they may drink themselves into a stupor, but I'm sober by the grace of God. He kept me and gave me a testimony. What some would think would have to go from one generation to the next did not have to because God was willing to step into my life as I surrendered and says, God, I don't want anything to do with that. I want nothing to do with that lifestyle. And as we adopt things in the spirit of adoption and coming into the kingdom of God, and we're a part of it, we're part of the church body, there are things that we adopt. We are adopted in, grafted in, as the Scripture says. We are placed into the bride of Christ. We are a part of that body. But there are things that we must adopt that we have no option. To be a part of the body of Christ, you have to do these things. It's because that's what he's called us to do. Things like love your brother, forgive, uh, being able to uh, live a holy life, not being one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Or There's things that God is very prescriptive of. He wants us to walk away and flee the lust of the flesh. And we can go on and on down that list of talking about all the things that this is not what a Christian is. You have to adopt those things into your life. You have to cleave to them. You have to make sure that they are part of your DNA because as you have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you, you have to break the chain of the Father that we were born, uh, we were born in iniquity and shaped in sin. I can't remember the scripture, but 
It's telling us that we are a product of this world is what we are. And when we come into the church, there has to be a separation. You can't play both sides of the fence. It's like trying to play tennis by yourself. You can't hit it and run around to the other side. It's not a game. It's not a sport. It's an effort of exhaustion. It's not sustainable. You have to break the chain that binds you to this world. Looking through several examples, I'll try to be brief of looking at the lesson tonight. And throughout Scripture, there are countless examples of those that have sinned against God, and the punishment that followed was extended also to the children. One thing we understand is God would view the sin of the Father, and then the actions of the children He would take into consideration. And there are some of those examples we'll look at tonight that says they followed in the footsteps of their father. One example is the king that was the son of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, the son of David. We have Abijam, and he was the king that came in after Rehoboam. And in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, And he walked in all the sins of his father which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. We see, we read through scriptures and we can find this very same phrasing time after time where they walked in the sins of their father. God takes into consideration the steps and the actions of the children. And we read through the scripture and we find an example. The other day I was asking Bishop about this and I was in quandary of what was the outcome when I look into consideration of Scripture, and we'll get into some of that tonight. But we look at the story of Achan. We all know the story where the children of Israel have come together and were commanded not to take anything after they had victory. They were to destroy everything, burn everything, and not to take anything out of that town or that city and take it back to them. But Achan thought otherwise. And looking at the details, we see that Achan and his family are stoned for his actions. And there is no conclusive thought surrounding the judgment of the entire family. And as Bishop explained it to me, that there's just conjecture at this point. But there are some principles, I guess, if you could say it that way, or examples you could look at in Scripture where you look and see how God judged the father, but when the children changed their life, he judged them differently. But then you have the examples to where God would judge the father. Then he would take it all the way down to the fourth generation and say, I remember them down to the fourth generation because they followed in the sins of their father. We see in the example with Achan, and we see how God treats them. And it's a profound example. And there's several verses of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1. It says, in the children of Israel... Uh, in verse jo Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1, the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. This was because of one man's sin that the whole tribe, the whole, uh, the, the children of Israel was brought unto judgment, and they were conquered at Ai. And they experienced defeat after some prolific victories that we read and preach about 
in the Bible in the first parts of Joshua. But yet when they get to the city of Ai, they are defeated because of Achan. And Joshua entreats the Lord. If you read through in Joshua chapter 1, chapter 7, reading on down further, I won't get into it, but he entreats the Lord. You can see that Joshua is distraught. Something is wrong. And the Bible tells us that, in reading on in verse 18, after God had told Joshua, said, bring the tribes together and review each household man by man. And in verse 18, and he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. So he begins to tell the story of what he had done. In verse 21, he says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver underneath. We find that Joshua then commands some of his men to go and grab these items that Achan had confessed to taking. And he takes these back and he begins to talk and confront Achan about this situation. And it's so what ties this together, what, what I was asking Bishop about was why did the children get stoned and buried by rubble just like Achan? When it always talks about, Achan says, I, I did this. I seen this. I went and I buried. I did this. It would seem that the family had to have been in on it would be the opinion that was offered that it was possible that the family was a part of hiding the treasure. Because we see through Scripture, as I've said before, God gives the children an opportunity. We're not talking about a city or a people that God would come in and say, I'm going to slay everybody, just like we've seen in Jericho, uh, just like we've seen in city after city that the children of Israel would come in and defeat, that they would say, don't leave anyone alive, even men, women, children, and the animals. But that was a destruction of a people. But Achan was a personal thing. There was ownership that Achan had. He is the one who had the blood on his hands of the thousands of men of his brothers that went to Ai and was slain. It was Achan and his responsibility. It is the behavior of God is not erratic. It's purposeful. It's God shows us how merciful he is when we look at the examples that follow we find that God addresses those who speak evil of him and his children. You see, there was a proverb that was profane among the Jews, that was being said among the Jews, and it was derogatory against God and his people. And the Jews were singing it. I don't know if it was ring around the roses, pocket full of posies, and it was just some little rhyming, whatever it is. But the Bible said that God took exception to this proverb. 
But you have to understand the Jews, in quoting of this proverb, they had this problem a few chapters before. I believe it was in Ezekiel chapter 15. But when we look in Ezekiel chapter 18, we see where God begins to speak to the prophet Ezekiel. And he begins to speak very plainly to them about this proverb that some of the Jews are walking around saying. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. God was responding to this little proverb, this little ditty that they were saying, but it was a slander against God is what they were saying. It was a slander about his ability to take care of his children. You see, doubt creeps in, and doubt is so powerful. It just takes just a little bit of doubt before it's all the way through. It's just like that little crack that you find. I don't know how a mouse could get in here, but before you know it, you have mice coming in it just down to this little It's because doubt can change itself into something looking appealing and cute. And it slides in. And before you know it, it's brought us brothers and sisters. And it manifests itself into something. And you thought you were only entertaining just this little ditty. And it gets God's attention. And we wonder why things just don't go right. And we wonder why we feel like we're stuck in a life of sin and you don't have the Holy Ghost and you feel like you can make no progress and you feel like you're always a failure. Devil slips in and says, I'm your father. I sinned. I was kicked out of heaven. You were were born into this sinful nature. That makes me the one who controls your life. And doubt slips into your mind that says you can never amount to anything. You could never be a man of God sitting on the pew raising your children or a lady of God sitting on the pew raising your family or coming together, husband and wife, and being able to come and be faithful to the house of God. You'll never be that way. You might as well just ride on the outside of church. But I'm here to tell you today that God wants to speak to that little ditty that little sonnet, that little proverb that you think, oh, the devil told me and it makes sense to me. And, you know, there's a thing that, you know what, you'll believe things that you didn't even hear as first time. You weren't the one uh, firsthand experience. There's a little thing, and I just remembered it just now. My brother went to a little summer camp for a few days. And he went there with a handful of kids from school. And... They said there was a speaker that went there and got up and taught them this little bitty rhyme. I wasn't there. I only heard my brother say it a couple times. But it stuck with me all these years. And it has absolutely makes no sense. It says, what's life? 50 cents. I thought you only had a quarter. It makes no sense to me. It may make sense to you, but why is it that something so simple and meaningless to me, it means nothing to me, 
Why would it resonate and stick in my mind that I can recall at a moment's notice? The lies of the devil are the same way. He'll step into your life and you'll think, oh, that just doesn't, that's just, that's just the devil. I know better. And next thing you know, you've got this little spirit of doubt coming in and telling you can't get the Holy Ghost. You can't pray through. You can't break the chain. He's always going to control your life. You're never going to be happy. You might as well just go ahead and accept it. You might as well just embrace this as who you are. But that's not the case. God is here to break the chain that's upon your life tonight. God's here to reach down and let you know, listen, you don't have to be the same way as the father of this life, in this world, in the lies of the devil. We can read down. Because we'll see in verse 3, God says, I'm going to make it profoundly clear. Difference between the steps of the evil person and that of the righteous. You go down to verse 18. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet say ye, why doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? So we have the father that's living a life of lawlessness. And we wonder why the son is not judged by that same rule. It's because the son done something different. And I don't know if your situation is one that you're living in the shadow of your parents or you're just living in the shadow of the spirits of this world that's trying to destroy you and keep you away from living for God the way you need to. But I'm here to tell you, as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, you have access to be grafted into that family, to be adopted in and to take on the characteristics of Christ. And you can break the chain of sin in your life where you feel like I can never be victorious. You can experience victory for the first time tonight. It's because it's in the Word of God. It goes on to say, When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. That doesn't sound the same as the Father. He's going to die in iniquity. Now, you can be like Achan and his family. Let's make it to where it's your Achan's family. You can be like Achan's family and be the honorable mention and live in the sin that's been passed down from family to family. You can sit there and bite words as you're talking about the church, as you hear them talking about the church, I'm sorry, as you hear them chewing up the preacher and just nipping and biting those words with just angst and anger and it's just dripping off of their tongue as they talk about, well, that preacher and that church, and they'll never, and you can live by honorable mention just like Aiken's family and be a part of it. And Aiken can say, I, I, and that could be the one, that spirit could be the one that God zeroed in on, but you can be the honorable mention by saying absolutely nothing. God wants you to break the chain of sin tonight. God wants you to break that chain that binds you tonight. He wants to give you victory. It's only available through Him. 
In verse 20, it says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked man turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. The beauty of that is that promise goes from the Old Testament all the way to present day in the New Testament church. It goes those very same words, if you will walk away, if you will make a commitment to walk away from the life of sin and not be so content and just ride, just ride that roller coaster of life, God wants to reach down and make a difference in your life tonight. You see, God makes a provision for a repentant heart. And that's the beauty of even if you've been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and you're part of the church, you make a mistake. God honors a repentant heart. That's why these altars are not just for sinners. They're for me and they're for you. And when we stumble and we fall, we have to get over ourselves and be able to come to an altar and kneel down and stain it with tears and begin to pour our heart out to God and say, God, I have failed you miserably. If you could only talk to God in the privacy and you could only reveal your hidden sin to Him in just the private, but you have to be vulnerable. You have to come into His presence. It's not on your terms. Forgiveness is on His terms. He's the one who dispenses forgiveness. And the quickest way to change your direction and the judgment upon your life is to turn to Jesus because He is just and forgiving. Even throughout the Old Testament, you'll find the Scripture bears out the statements declaring how good God is and how merciful He is. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso, that's everybody, if you can meet the criteria of doing these very next steps, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the criteria for getting God to reach down into your life and change your life. And then you'll be able to read the words in Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's because it's the whoso, me, you. We're not ashamed to go down to that place of repentance. We cannot be afraid to get down on our knees and pray. We can't be afraid to have tears roll off our cheeks because that's the effect of being in the presence of an almighty forgiving God. It has that impact on our life. And we need that to break the chain of sin. But here's the beauty of it all. We're protected by the actions of our Heavenly Father. We're not judged by the sins of the Father of this world, the one who lies and every time he opens his mouth. But when we get the Holy Ghost, we're protected by our Heavenly Father. And the actions that he took upon, robing himself in flesh, 
and walking here on earth. And he made us sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. You know what that means? We get the benefits of our heavenly Father. When we step out of the things of this world, when we say we no longer want to touch them, we no longer want to cleave to them, we'll no longer drag them around as the scars, and we say, oh, woe is me, and I'll never be able to change, and it's a part of my testimony. Why don't you let God give you a testimony instead of you trying to define the story of your life? Stop trying to control the narrative. And just say, God, I want you to be my father. Take me. I want to be a son, a daughter in the kingdom. And he says, and we'll be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The one who holds all might. The one who can conquer all sin. We are heirs with Christ. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, talking to the church, we are debtors and not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God is trying to lead somebody to the family tonight. God is trying to tell somebody, you might as well just go ahead and let it happen tonight. You might as well just go ahead and surrender tonight. You might as well just go ahead and say, God, here I am. Take me. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. And then you can become the son or the daughter of God. In verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. God likes for us to think of the church. You come in, you get the Holy Ghost, and you are a part of the body of Christ. But you are now a part of this family. Welcome home. It's not like, well, I'll just ride this out and figure out where I need to go. Here's the thing. God will give your pastor the wisdom if you need to leave and go somewhere else to grow and mature as a saint. But God brought you to this church for a reason. It's so that you could benefit from this body. And likewise, you can benefit the body. You are brought here for a reason. And don't take it upon yourself to be looking here or there. But let the Word of God preached by Bishop be able to lead you and guide you in truth and let you grow. Because no one can go and rescind their adoption as an infant. You can't say, oh, no, I don't like the golf family. They don't burp me just right, or they give me the wrong formula, or just don't dress me in the right clothes. But no, when I told those girls, I am now your daddy, they wrapped their arms of love around me. And we have pictures of us standing in the Johnson County Courthouse, standing there with the judge. And everybody has the biggest smile on their face because now they know their family. No one can take them away. And tonight, you're here, your family. And no one can take you away. Your family. 
let me be the first to say, welcome home. God wants you to change your destination. You may be able to ride an apostolic pew, but God wants to give you a destination that's eternal. Something more. He wants to make you heirs to His promise. Not just a part of the membership role. He wants to make you an heir to the promise. And it says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, guess what? We're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. That means we're going to walk in the newness of life that Christ gave to the church and it gives to us and we walk in and there's nothing the world can do to rip us out of the clutches of a heavenly Father that loves us and cares for us. Because He loves us so much that He gave His life. Jesus gave His life. Walking here on earth Dwelling in the flesh, just like us, but full of the Spirit of God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels and preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's what He did for us. So that we could say, Abba, Father. He paid the sacrifice. He made it accessible for all of us. Possible for all of mankind to break the generational curse that's upon us today. We were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. But it's Abba, Father that we can call unto. We can say, Father, hear my prayer. I need your help tonight. Break this chain that binds me. Take off the weights of this world. God wants us to be different. He's called us to not be perfect, but to be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't do any of that if you still got one foot in the world. You can't achieve any of that until you say, God, take all of me. I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to be a part of the purpose. I want to have reason in my life. I want to know why I get up every day. I want to be able to talk to him and know that he hears me and have him commune with me through his word. I'm tired of conviction pulling me at my sins. I just want to surrender it all to you. Break the chains of this world. I no longer want to have the things of this world. That father, oh, he lies to me. He beats me. He destroys me. I have nothing of him that I want. But let me tell you about Jesus. Because we know when he speaks to us, it is truth. 
Jesus in his words tells us about the father, the devil. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and says, Ye are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. We know that any time the devil speaks, he's lying. From the very beginning, when he opened his mouth in the garden, he was lying. He was lying when he was trying to exalt himself above God. He was lying. That's the whole reason he was kicked out. He tried to elevate himself as God, and he's still doing the same thing. If you'll listen to him, he'll try to elevate himself above God. But Jesus begins to speak in John chapter 8 because we can believe everything that the Bible says that Jesus spoke. He says in John chapter 8 and verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Take it to the bank. If you will accept this truth, you will find freedom. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 10 and 10, The thief cometh not but to sport to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life, and they might have life, may, hot, might, that they might have it more abundantly. He's telling us that if you want what the Father has, you have to have it through, the, through the, the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You have to have it through the sacrifice, the plan that was laid out. You have to be a part of the body of Christ. But if you want to be a part of this whole world, he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. How does he do that? He convinces you that you're holding on to the right things for the right reason. But in reality... You're holding on to the wrong things for the wrong reason. It's so he can have influence in your life. It's surrender. The only way you can shut him up is surrender. The only way you can muzzle that voice that's tried to control you for so long, surrender. That's the only way. Because he's going to sneak in every night. Every time your mind's idle. That thief comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But thank God, we have the one in Psalms chapter 25 and verse 8. says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he will teach sinners in the way. I'm so glad he taught me the way. He's the one through his word and through his man of God that taught me the way. The one, the writer of a psalm, sat there and said he's good and he's upright. Yes, I can testify that my God is good and he's upright, but I can add to it my testimony, your testimony, his mercy, his forgiveness, his goodness. And the meek, in verse 9, will he guide in judgment? And the meek, will he teach his way? You have to be teachable. To find the way. You have to be teachable to find 
the way. In John chapter 16, in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, it is expedient for you that I go away. For I go not away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Down to verse 13, how be it, part of our text, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. These things, going on down to verse 33, have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That is the only place you will have peace. Don't confuse the comforts of this world for peace. Don't confuse someone holding your hand in a time of a trial as peace. That's just comfort. But peace, when peace comes over you, ooh, the beauty of peace. My, my. If you've never felt peace, you are missing out. Oh, it's beautiful. When it sweeps in, nothing, nothing can get to you. Peace, like a river, because it has no end. Because when it reaches down in your times of need, when it seems like everything is going wrong, God slips in and says, my child, you called on me. I'll bring you peace. And when he settles on you, nothing can get to your mind. You know what you think about? How good God is. It's not, oh my, this is a bad situation. I'm kind of numb to it right now, and I don't really feel it right now, but wow, look at all this going on around me. No. You lose sight of the waves. You lose sight of everything and the chaos all around you. And the torment and the anguish of this world trying to assail you. And peace comes in. Oh, that beautiful peace. There's nothing like it in the world. If I could entice you, if you could only but feel the peace of God in your heart, you might be able to get some sleep at night. You might be able to get some victory over some things that's been bothering you for year after year after year. Some addictions that control you. You thought you had under control, but God saying, listen, I can help you with that, but you just have to surrender. In the world, you shall have tribulation. That's telling us, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, your world's chaos. I know it, and you know it. You can tell me whatever story you want. But I know and I'm convinced that if I were to walk out of the church and I pray it never happens to any of us, if you ever walk out of the church, it's chaos, your first step. And there are some among us that are living in chaos. Don't be satisfied with chaos. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has come to give you the peace that you're seeking for in your life. These are the words of Jesus Christ while He walked here on our earth, that He gives us 
the opportunity to partake in. And we come to the promise of the Father. In Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The answer that you need tonight is the words of Jesus once again. He's called you to this house so that you can be endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father that took place in Acts chapter 2 is just as real and alive and it's the promise that's available tonight. If you'll just commit yourself to Him and stop playing games and let God reach into your life and turn you into the person that He wants to. But you have to surrender. I can't force you. I can only obey what God has laid on my heart and present the Word of God and say, listen, I'm giving you the answer. All you have to do is surrender. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Whatever you're struggling with, you shall receive power. No matter how hard life is for you right now, you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Your family won't recognize your behavior. Your friends that you've grown up all your life will not recognize who you are. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will change. And it won't be because somebody's up here in the pulpit saying, change, 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 change. Change, 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 change. You must change, change, change. No, it's the Spirit in you saying, I want you to change. If you don't hear that Spirit, you need that power from on high. He'll whisper, just like Sister Nelson said in our uh, outreach training, like what you said. I do this because it pleases my Heavenly Father. I do things because it pleases my husband. I live this way not because I'm afraid that Bishop's going to come knock on my door and catch me. It's because I want to please the Father. There's a power that comes on us that allows us to change. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That is the real sign. It's you begin to please Him. We know this because in Acts chapter 2, there were some folks that had change happen. It says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You can't accept Christ and get changed. You can't accept Christ and get power. You can't accept Christ and get peace. There has to be a sound that confirms the infilling. I'll give you a real simple example. You'll realize just how shallow I am, just how simple-minded I am. But I have a bottle just like Bishop's. We have a carafe at home that we fill, and it filters the water. And that bottle you can't see in. You cannot see that bottle. There's a little translucent piece at the top. But how I know that bottle is full is by the sound. I cannot even be looking at that bottle, getting ready to walk out the door before we go to church. The last things we do, I'll reach over and pull that spigot, and I hear it start filling up. And I know by the sound when it's full. That's how we are. You can't fake this. There's a sound that comes out of you, and it's confirmed in His Word. It's confirmed to those around you. You can see immediate change in their demeanor, demeanor, in how they approach church, and just how grateful they are. It's not just something like I handed you a door prize. No, it changes you. There is evidence of your infilling. And we have to be careful, church, if I could say something just for a moment to the church. We have to be careful about the sound that comes out of us. Because if it's not the Spirit, it's not the Spirit. It's destructive. It'll cause us to think, oh, I I said something, I did something. But if it's not the sound that says there's power with it, if it's not the utterance of the Spirit, it's not the Holy Ghost. We must check ourselves. We must make sure our calling and election is sure that we are a part of the body of Christ, that the sound that comes out of here is the sound that flows from the heart that God has given us. Don't be happy with an empty sound of the jar. Let it be full and overflowing. And I can't tell you how many times I get distracted when I'm filling that bottle. 